Bonjour, and welcome to Bookends with Friends. <laughs> this is your co-host, Parker Moon. This is your co-host, Brett Irvin. Je m'appelle Daniel. Hey. <laughs> I know French. You know French. <laughs> uh, we're a weekly book club podcast where we go over one book a month and talk everything books and books related. Uh, how are you guys doing? Doing pretty good. This is our Nightingale episode. This is our Nightingale episode. Which is why we had the really good French opener. The really good <laughs> French opener. Como ça va? Good. We heard a French voice actor. Come see, come ça. Come see, come ça. Oh, eh? I was told to always do this dumb hand motion. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that's just like for American French. It is. Yeah, okay. Um, well, yeah, it's been a while since we recorded also because of well, what happened? What, what, what took us out of the snow? It was a mix of snow. COVID Us exposures. living in South Carolina, so no way to deal with snow. Uh-huh. Bad and infrastructure. <laughs> snow, bad infrastructure, COVID exposure. COVID exposures. All accumulate to not being able to record. But we are so happy to be back, and we promise we are going to be better about being back on a regular weekly schedule. So thank you for sticking it out, listeners, if you are listening. And if you didn't stick it out... We will miss you. We miss you so much. Come back. Please we didn't back. quit. We promise. Please come back. There was um, a lot of rumors that we broke up, but it's all good. The band's back together. And we we did a we did a Jonas true. Brothers. We broke up, but only for a week. Who's who? Jump. Well, who's who? Who's I'm, who? I'm probably who? Kevin. Oh, I felt like I was Kevin. Dibs on Kevin. Do you think anyone's ever said that? Let's all say we're Kevin and move on. Oh, you yeah, were all Kevin Jonas. We're okay. Kevin's. Okay. Okay. Um. Hey, maybe Let's, we should get a Joe or a, a, a Nick on our <laughs> on <the> podcast, guys. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's talk books, but before we do that, let's talk short stories and catch up with each other. Uh, how are you guys? Our, our segment where we, you know, catch up with catch each other. up with each other. Yeah. Short stories. All right, so I'll take the reins here, and um, I'll uh, I'll do mine first. Uh, so. Well, I guess what I'm reading right now is still uh, Words of Radiance. Um, we did the Nightingale and then, you know, still uh, on my Words of Radiance grind. So that's that. You? Not much further than we last spoke because I've been doing Nightingale like Nightingale this week. Nightingale pretty hefty. Yeah. And I didn't read as much as I wanted to during our Snowpocalypse. So yeah. speaking of Snowpocalypse... That is my short story. Um, I oh no, <laughs> I just like actually had ended up having a pretty good. If you guys follow our social media, you probably saw a TikTok regarding our snow episode. Um, but yeah, so I just ended up like chilling and making way too much breakfast food and just like hanging out and playing video games and reading and yeah, it was great. Pretty good day to me. You did get snowed in and missed. Uh, I did get snowed in. A fun, fun walk on the trail. I did, but that's we that's got. Okay. We got a lot more than expected, and um, we got a lot more than expected. Yeah. So it just was, and you know, the infrastructure here, um, not not the best for dealing with snow. So just decided to uh, wait it out here. Overall, it was good. Um, I hiked out to the road a few times. It was really dangerous and treacherous, and I was really brave to do it. You were so and, brave. And um, all by myself. I can't. Um, I, I wouldn't be able hey, to do that. Brett, can I ask you a question? Because I, I saw in your apartment a snow shovel. Did you shovel any snow? I shoveled a good amount of snow. Yeah, you did. Um, 
I bought that a couple years ago when we were both living in apartments, and I I used it before to shovel out our cars one time because mm. our last apartment was um, dookie at doing any of that kind of stuff, so we had to do it ourselves. Um, but Wait, here, so you've had the shovel? Yeah. Like you've you I keep thought, the I shovel? It, I, I thought it was certainly new. In South Carolina, you have a snow shovel so, that's that size. <laughs> then you out. move with you from location to location. Hear me out. <laughs> I I am overly prepared for sure. I overthink a lot of things. And I it was on sale one time and I was like, what the hell? I'll get it just in case. Snow shovels can't be that expensive. <laughs> they were expensive. Or you have to buy them on I sale. No, I feel like they're okay, anyways, all that to be said, I shoveled I snow shoveled for the first time our um driveway. Driveway with Except a garden a, shovel. Yeah, yeah. And it was miserable it was because it's not a lot of surface area to begin with so you're not picking up a lot of snow but on top of that it was just like but the way the the snow had like iced over Mm -hmm. that part like of our house it was just like trying to lift sheets of ice and it took me way longer than i thought it would and it was terrible because i was sweating more than i realized in the snow and then i went inside and i felt like i was like about to die from dehydration it was awful you know who you could have called to shovel instead Brett, Shia LaBeouf. So, one of my is that a holes reference? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, that's it's, true. this is Brett's short story, and we are hijacking it. Brett, go. One of my that was, that was one of my biggest regrets with not being there is I was planning to bring my shovel so that I could like help shovel stuff out. That was that was I my thinking. So I actually felt bad about that. I did not help Parker shovel anything. That's true. <laughs> Even if he was going to shovel while I was there, I would not have helped you shovel anything. Oh, thanks, Jack. <laughs> I don't I like the snow or cold. Yeah, it was it was actually kind of uh, cathartic. I listened to some music and, and snuggled some, <laughs> snuggled some show, some show, shoveled some snow. Good. It was fine. Good. Yeah. yeah. So I did. Um, we had a lot of wind, so it like blew a lot of snow into like the breezeway at my apartment. So I helped out with that a little bit. But yeah. Oh my gosh, you're like a civil servant. You know, like I try. That's, you don't even like own the land, but you're still shoveling the snow. I try. You know. Gosh, I'm a man of the people. Modern Nightingale. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, how about you, Dan? Parker? Hey, Dan. You Parker? I'll take it. Okay. I'll take the wheel. Um, so we, I'll be short and sweet. So we did a murder mystery party. Uh, all, all of the bookends boys were there. So your hosts. And then uh, it, it was put on by our friends, the Hillers. Uh, so shout out to Justin and Kate, because that was so much fun. And... Uh, yeah, it was just a good time. They do it like annually or, or, or what, which one is every other year? Is that biannually or semi? Okay. Biannually. So like, so. yeah, so they yeah. try to do it annually every, never, every now and then it's biannually just because of COVID and everything. Um, but it was the first one we've done in a while and everyone got dressed up. Everyone was in like very much in character, which makes that whole experience so much more fun. Uh, but really it was just an excuse for us to all dress up and, and drink and eat food and mm-hmm. hang out with friends and uh i don't know i just had a lot of fun and uh I, I also was the murderer uh which you don't know until you get like halfway through the party uh which made the second half of the party very interesting for me because i was just trying to throw off like the scent and i did not everyone knew that it was me yeah. and so i don't know what my tell was but so everyone at the start of part two when you find out you're the murderer and we uh-huh. have to figure out who the murderer is. I told everyone right off the bat that I was voting for you no matter what. 
because I kept dropping animal you crackers. You kept dropping animal crackers, and I kept stepping on them. And so That's I was valid. a clown. So the the whole thing, the whole murder mystery party was circus themed, right? And I was a clown, and so I thought this is a funny bit. Uh, with maybe some alcohol influencing my decision making where I stuffed animal crackers which was one of the party gifts up my sleeves and when someone would ask me a question I'd say I, I don't have anything on my sleeves and then I would drop animal crackers on the floor out and of my sleeves not pick them up for and the not entire pick them um, and hey you know what it it was a hit and everyone sure. loved it except for that's why everyone voted for you yeah, yeah, yeah. it's fine um, what, I'm, what am I reading yep uh, nothing Moving on, I guess. <laughs> no, I uh, so I finished Nightingale, uh, and I haven't picked up another book. I had a lot of distractions, which is just like silly because I shouldn't have. I I don't know why. I just haven't been able to focus on reading like this past week. So I'm oh. hoping this next week I'll be able to because Libby has smacked me in the face with all of my holes at once. I have as they do. Neil Gaiman's never more ready. I've got A Court of Mist and Fury ready. I've got The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo ready. Mm-hmm. And I think one other one that I'm probably just going to pass on because um, well, I can't even remember what it is, so it's not that important. Yeah. Uh, so I've got a whole list of books. The Holy Bible. And I still have the two Wax and Wayne's left to read that oh, I really shoot. want to. Oh, shoot. I forgot to. about that. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I've got, I've got so much on my plate that I'm excited to read. Yeah. Like that, it, it feels like right now I just have options galore, and so yeah. we'll see where I go. Nice. But yeah, haven't picked one yet. Cool. Nice. Dan? Well, segue off of you, Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman was one of my like top five books last year. So I should read that next. You should read that next. And uh, to go off of that, I just read what I'm reading. Uh, I just finished The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman, and I liked it more than Neverwhere. Oh, really? That book, Graveyard Book, is so good. Yeah. I, it's amazing. Yeah, like, cool. it's Maddie read it, and she said it was similar-ish to Mort. It is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's similar vibes to yeah. more. It's like it, it kind of caught me off guard. I actually texted Maddie about this. It caught me off guard of how emotional it yeah. was. Yeah. To the point where I was like, this is the most like emotion I felt reading a book. Maybe not since Nightingale, because I read that after Gave Your Book, but the most emotional I've felt reading a book like all of last year too, like all the books I read last year. Uh, but no, I, I really loved it. It was awesome. And then just kind of going off of, of my week, uh, I did the snow day with Parker. I did the murder mystery party. I was uh, a catcher of the, the tightrope walker or the trapeze artist. Um, but my short story changed very recently. Um, and I just want to talk about something that I love very much. So, Oh, me. man. For the past hour, because you just picked me up, you know, not too long ago. So about an hour before you picked me up, Nicole and I were just sitting on the couch watching a movie and we were just crying the whole time through it. I probably cried six different times during this movie. Um, so I just want to talk about my love for the extended edition of Return of the King. Oh my God. Because it is just, <laughs> it is so good. I feel I, like you've talked about the extended edition I probably of have. Lord of the Rings. I just want to talk about it again. Story. Okay, that's fine. That's fair. That's I just fair. want to talk about it again. That's fair. So every year, my wife and I watch all three extended editions of the Lord of the Rings, and as one should, as one should. I've got the 4K. I got the 4K editions last year for Christmas. Mm. They look amazing. We watch one. We have a great time. We watch two. We have a great time. No tears are shed. We get to three. I cry for two hours straight. I can't handle the scenes in that movie. And I don't know why. It's the music. 
the it's score. the music. Howard Shore. I can, He's a... I can imagine every single scene that makes me cry. Yeah. And I watched it just tonight before you picked me up, and two more scenes made me cry that have never made me cry before. And I'm not talking like my eyes will that. I'm talking like Nicole looks over at me and I tell her to stop looking at me because there's like tears <laughs> running down my face. And I don't I know what that. it is, mm. but it's just such a good movie. And I can't stress enough how much I love that movie. Yeah. And that's just, that's it. That's my short story. I love that movie so much. That's nice. good. And um, tomorrow at work, I will be listening to the entire soundtrack again, yeah. which is usually Great. the progression yeah. of how this goes i'm about to cry right now well, don't do that i mean you can you yeah, can go but yeah before books we do reading. i will actually you reminded me because i felt like i was missing something i did finish two other books i just am not currently reading a book after nightingale um but i read uh, uh stranger in a lifeboat by mitch album mm-hmm. And Stardust by Neil Gaiman. Sorry, so oh, that's what. Just, it was so good. He's I, just a lad. He, uh, Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Yeah. Just I, a lad. I really, Love him. really, really liked Stardust, though. I think that book was like perfectly. That was a lot shorter too. For me, yeah, so, it's it's great. I've only read two Neil Gaiman books, and they're they've both been just bangers for me. Five stars on the Goodreads for both of them. So I'm just gonna fly through his his books this year. I think. Good deal. Cool. Okay, yeah. Let, well, let's talk about books uh, that... The book club. <laughs> That's a part of the podcast. That's a part of the podcast. That being our January book, Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. Man, this was a doozy. Our first big historical fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, a historical fiction. Do you, Let me just give a quick synopsis. Does that sit well with you guys if yeah. I do that? No so this spoilers. Will, yeah, so this will be no spoilers. Uh, if you still have yet to finish the book or you're planning on reading the book and you don't want it to be spoiled for you, we're going to give a quick synopsis and then you can duck out before we get into the discussion, which will be all spoilers ahead. The book is Paris, France, or, or just France in general. Uh, it, it takes place uh, during World War II and it follows the storylines of two sisters uh, Vienne and Isabel Rosignol, I believe is, yeah. that's how you say it. Um, so this, it, it, it jumps, there, there's kind of a dual perspective uh, or like the, the you know, time jumps with uh, like, ni- I think it's 19, like 95. 99, 90, 90, yeah, late yeah, 90s. So late 90s of someone remembering their story, essentially. It, it's, it's one of the two sisters, but you don't know which it is. Um, and like them recalling this story of the Nightingale. And so you have Vienne Rosignol, who uh, has a daughter, Sophie, and she lives in Le Jardin. Uh, it's a, a, a city a little bit off of um, outside of Paris, mm-hmm. and she is more reserved. She's She wants to protect her family. Her husband is sent off to war. And then you have Isabel, who's more bold and brash, and she is just disgusted by the idea of the German occupation coming into France, and so she wants to actively uh, rebel and revolt. And so you have these two sisters who have very different ways of going about this. It's kind of like they represent each like fight or flight with Nazi Germany kind of infiltrating France. So you and, and and Isabel goes off and and essentially joins up with a a group and is getting soldiers from France outside into safe areas. So that that's kind of the 
base level premise yep. of the book. Yep. It's it's very heavy, obviously, because it deals with um, World War II and just the atrocities of, of World War II. Uh, but again, it's it's just such well like it. Kristen Hanna is so good at writing it, just like captivating historical fiction uh, novels, mm-hmm. and and just like her the way she writes her characters, they're they're so compelling, and it like I felt like I was like in that just like in France with them with the characters. So, yeah. um, anyways, that's the synopsis. Good there, yeah. discussion. Yes. Okay. Get into it. Okay, let's get into it. So I, I guess first off, I, I really liked it. I, I mean, I love a good historical yeah. fiction book, especially World War II, which yeah. is most historical fiction that I've read. I just right off the bat did not think Isabel was going to be center stage of the book because she's not the starting yeah, character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did not expect the route that it took, and I really like kind of where the story really took off around like mm-hmm. you know, a third of the way through the book with everything with Isabel. But no, I thought it was super good. I liked it a lot. Yeah. I, I saw, I saw both your Goodreads reviews. So. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not going to like hide behind it. I gave it a five stars. It's mm-hmm. my third Kristen Hanna novel that I've read. And it's the third Kristen Hanna novel that I've given five stars. To. Yeah. So each of them have had just like, I, it, they've given me like actual like visceral reactions yeah. to reading them like they're like just the emotion that she's able to invoke so um yeah i mean i i loved it i thought it was great yeah agreed and i also you know i am kind of a history nerd and so i as dan mentioned like the the historic historical aspects of it were just so cool to listen to and to hear certain um references that she makes to stuff that went on during the war and I actually wanted to mention a few of those and Please, discuss them. I, I'm actually, I'm glad you brought this up because I know you are a history buff, so to speak, and I am not by any means. So like I, and this, this God, this makes me look so naive. And I, I mean, you know what, whatever. The audience knows that we're dum-dums, right? So Absolutely. I like don't know what of this story was embellished as far as like characters and names and like, of like generals and stuff like that. And uh, and so I, I don't know, Brett, did this, did like, was there stuff that you were able to pick up on uh, about like the actual war or like the timeline of things? Because I, I just, I'm bad at history. Yes, I can definitely fill in um, some gaps. And it's, a lot of it's going to be from the beginning of the book. Uh, like a lot of the like, uh, you know, the, the, in their confusion at the start of the war, like references that they made and, you know, how surprised they were by stuff. Um, but yeah, so as far as like the characters, um, I believe... Um, she loosely based um, Isabel on an actual, there were actual routes over the Pyrenees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so she did, there were a few actual, like w- like women were huge in, in the, the French free, uh, free French movement. Um, so like that was actually like such a cool way to show their involvement because that's how, you know, back then they, you know, earlier on, like the Germans didn't even assume for someone because like, oh, you're a woman, like, you right. know, like you're not, you're not up to no good. But it was just like, obviously it was a different time back then, but like there were so many women involved in that movement. So it was just a cool way um, for her to, to show that. But um, so first the, they mentioned at the very beginning of the book, the uh, Maginot line, it's mentioned several times. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that was at the time the French army, you know, before World War II started, the French army was considered like one of the biggest and best in the world. And so they were like beyond confident that the Germans couldn't do anything to them. And they also, so the Maginot, Maginot Line was a series of fortifications that they built on their border with Germany, you know, in, t- in anticipation of another war because, you know, all of the trench warfare in World War One, they wanted to be ready because they, you know, obviously they didn't know what the new war would bring. So they built these like insane state-of-the-art fortifications along their border and so that's why at the beginning they're all like, you know, like the Maginot Line is going to hold. Our husbands are going to be back in no time. But what had actually happened, and some of you may know this based on the, the movie Dunkirk and the story about Dunkirk, the Germans actually cut through and invaded Belgium, which is to the northeast of France. And the Maginot Line, that, that series of fortifications, did not cover their border with Belgium and so the Germans pushed through this huge forest in the area called the Ardennes Forest, and they broke through where France didn't have any fortification, and they cut off the British, which caused Dunkirk. But they also they were able to basically freely invade northern France. And so that's how it happened so quickly. Oh, um, okay. um, this isn't a joke. I could sit here in silence and listen to you talk about I felt so calm right. and just relaxed listening to you talk. Please continue. I got it's, so sucked in. Yeah, teach me history, Brett. It's so fun. There's some really cool shows on uh, Netflix. One that actually, um, it's called World War II in Color. There, a new one it's just came footage, out, but they had right? an episode about the liberation of France, which, which basically talks about like so much stuff in this book. And I had watched it. Um, pretty recently, so it was really cool to like read about it as well. But um, the next one was they mention um, a couple major generals. Uh, Philip Paton is mentioned, and then Charles de Gaulle also. Um, you know, Isabel's like the reason she joins the movement is because she hears about Charles de Gaulle's mm-hmm. you know free French movement. She's like, I'm going to go join. But the funny thing is, well, not funny because this actually happened. But you know, Vienne, you know, Philip Paton, who is like a World War One hero in France was put in as the lead of the Vichy government, which was actually, like, Mm -hmm. not just a puppet government of the Nazis. They actually, like, committed atrocities of their own without even being, like, pushed by the Nazi, you know, high command and stuff like that. So they were off, you know, evil in their own way. But he was the reason why so many French people didn't assume anything because, you know, here's this French war hero that's like, you know, we're good, you know, we're going to take care of everybody. But Charles de Gaulle, who everybody knows now, is being, like one of the greatest, like, French heroes in history. Like, he reclaimed Paris at the end of the war. Like, he, you know, helped with invasions. He he was, like, you know, the airport in Paris is named after him. There's a statue of him in Paris. And at the time, Vienne's, like, basically, like, who the hell is this Charles de Gaulle guy? Like, why are we listening to him? But yeah. it's just, obviously, in retrospect, you can be like, well, you know, Isabel was was right. But at the time, you know, you can't really blame the French people for being, like, you know, here's this really war hero, about it. we can trust him, kind yeah. of thing. But yeah, so I just thought that was really interesting. Um, and then finally, the Vichy government in itself is an interesting story because the British um, and French, uh, sorry, the British and Americans actually fought the Vichy government, like French troops, and French troops, on you know, troops on both sides were killed, but one of like the U.S.'s first battles in World War II in North Africa was attacking the French 
you know, Vichy government troops because they wouldn't, the, you know, the Americans, you know, we came in and were like, you know, they're just going to let us walk right in. They're going to hail us as like liberators and stuff like that. But, you know, being puppets of the Nazis, they like fired upon the U.S. And it was just like this whole wild thing. But that is one of the weirdest facts of World War II is that Britain and, for, uh, Britain and the U.S. actually fought France for a little bit. Yeah, that's so, so wild because I always thought that French was an allied like force in yeah, but yeah. they, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And but at the, you know, once the there was the Free French Movement, which was based based out of the UK or mm. Britain at the time. But yeah, once, you know, the Vichy government actually like, sort of flipped and like gave in to our troops, and kind of at that point is when the Nazis kind of like, and you know, they mentioned in the book they take over Free France right. near the end of the book. Um, but yeah, basically that's when. Vichy kind of like surrendered to the British and U.S. and kind of rejoined our side or whatever. They like flipped sides. Um, and so obviously they still did evil things. But yeah, so I just thought that was really interesting. And they mentioned it throughout the book. But yeah, so if anybody's more interested in that, go check out um, just some documentaries on Netflix and stuff like that. So I just thought that was cool. Yeah, oh, that was very cool. That Super probably cool. took way too long, but yeah. No, I honestly, I'm, I'm glad because I, we, it, it, it's cool because, like, you probably had a completely different perspective, you, you know, reading that stuff. Because I, I mean, I just didn't know about De Gaulle or right. like the the Vichy government or anything like that. So I, this was me getting into this part of history for the first time. Whereas you kind of knew a little bit of the mm-hmm. background and these characters, not characters, but the real right. story. Which I guess could, you know, lead you right. to have some thoughts that I, I wouldn't have picked up on until later in the book. Yeah, and it's just a really cool way to, sh- like, you really, you it's, you know, obviously she's an incredible writer. You can tell just by reading the story, but, like, it adds that much more to it where you're like, wow, like, obviously she really did her homework and she's writing things yeah. that, you know, like, she interviewed plenty of people and, like, knows what she's talking about. And it's just, like, historically, like... It kind of matches up with with a lot of stuff. Right. To um, kind of cover Kristen Hanna for a minute, uh, so I've read Four Winds. You've read Four Winds, Parker. Yes. You've read Great Alone, which I've not read yet. Yeah. Um, but her style definitely seems to be. She's very very good at writing family, and so she has all this family drama and then places it into a moment of history that's fitting for what she wants to write yeah because i mean it's it's family and it's the unheard voices of women during these times in history which i think is especially cool in in both the four winds and and this book obviously she does a phenomenal job of like giving voice to women in time of history where Mm -hmm. they weren't typically given voice Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah she yeah she can it just she knows one how to like pull your heart a little bit. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, she can kind of wreck you, but all of the stuff with like um, Vienna and Isabel was just like all of their relationship and dynamic build up from like them being kids and Isabel feeling like abandoned from her family and that mm-hmm. just growing throughout the entire book was probably some of my favorite sections that I read. Um, but to kind of Go into my favorite part of the book, if that's that's yeah, all right. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so I've talked about this book probably a thousand times. I'm, it's a really long title, so you're probably sick of me saying it. But um, my favorite part of All the Light We Cannot See is 
it involves a character's life that has like she's an innocent in the war like mm-hmm. she's not a part of the war she's not you know she just exists in a world where this war is happening um and so it gives you a glimpse of what you know a casual civilian is going through in a time like this and so my favorite part of the nightingale was everything dealing with vienna and her home and her city and nazi occupied france because like she is just existing living her life and then this comes in and kind of just wrecks everything for her you know she's not isabel she's not actively a part of this war she's Mm -hmm. not really she's just surviving like trying her hardest to survive and i think it's just like very human writing Mm -hmm. um Obviously, I can't put myself anywhere close to what she's experienced in the story, but I can put myself closer to her than saving airmen. Right. 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 Exactly. Sure. So it's just like a very human story of like people trying to survive where they have no control over right. everything. And so I loved all of her chapters, and that was probably my favorite. I, I thought something interesting with the story, especially with it, just in regards to Isabel and Vienne and their. Like, it almost felt like they were, it was two different books, right? Yeah. Because you have this almost glamorized story. Like, espionage right, story. Right. This almost. espionage spy story of this amazing woman who had, like, even from the beginning, she was like, she had this idyllic hero from mm-hmm. the, fir- the Great War, the First World War. And she was like, I'm going to save France and, you know, I'm going to get involved with the war. And, and she does. Like, she, she's yeah. amazing. And Isabel is like such an aspirational character right and then uh, you know the flip coin of that is you have vn and while they're related and they have like they have moments of intersectionality you know where their stories come together for a lot of the novel they're apart from each other for for the majority Mm -hmm. of the novel they're not together and you do see because of that both sides of the story and i i I completely agree with you dan because that's like uh vn side it, it felt like you know, she was, they were both fighting the war in their own way. Right. But she was just a, she, you know, she was a mom and she was also, you know, trying to keep her, you know, her town and her life together, but didn't really fully understand like how impactful, I guess, the war was going to be in their lives. And so it was that kind of thing of like, no one believed in the atrocities. No one believed how bad it was going to actually get until it was at their doorstep. And yep. I think Vienna is like that, you know, that prime example of that because, it, you know, she was living through that where it was like, oh, at first it was just, you know, they moved in and, you know, then it was like, okay, well now they're kind of, you, you know, we have German soldiers living in our houses. And then it was, you know, the the Jewish people, or at first it was just propaganda. Then it was Jewish people had to wear the Star of David. And then, you know, right. it's, it snowballs into that like horror story of what, you know, is the actual history there. Uh, but I think VN gives a, a good, like, you know, you can put yourself in that, yeah. in, oh, in her shoes. And, uh, like, you you know, you're kind of, the the reader can be in her perspective pretty mm-hmm. easily because I feel like it, you know, for any of us, it's hard to imagine that level of, of atrocity or, yeah. you know, just horror entering into your natural, you know, everyday life where you're just, you yeah. know, making a living or doing whatever. And then your entire world's flipped upside down. Going off of that, did y'all have a favorite sister? It's a hard question. Or, or who you relate to most. I guess favorite's a bad yeah. way to say that, because they're both great in their right. own way, and they both have flaws in their own ways. Obviously very two different extremes. Right, right. Um, I 
can't really say which one I relate to more. I know I, if I were to put myself in any situation, I don't like inaction. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the the early parts of the book were Isabel being very paranoid and like rightfully so of, hey, this is happening. I don't want to do something about it. And VN saying, no, this is unnecessary. Like we're fine. The wall's not going to fall. Like they're not going to get to us. And I think it would be hard to be that lax about it for me. Yeah. But at the same time, like I, in the long run, I probably would relate more to the end because I can't imagine myself. I don't like cold. I can't go in the snow. (laughs) (laughs) We've already talked about this, Yeah. but I'm just, I don't feel myself as like an action hero, you know? Yeah. You know, they, they're, they come from two entirely different perspectives. Like you mentioned, like, they both kind of optimized their position the best that they could. You know, Vian's utmost concern and responsibility is take care of her children. And at the time, she was slow to jump into the rebellion process because obviously she was worried that, you know, she had a Nazi living in her house and, you know, she was worried for the safety of her kids and then the safety of her friends and just making sure that house was there to come back to. And, the safety of her husband while Isabel had less connections around her. And the connections that she did have were in the free French movement, you know, with Gaetan. And I feel it's, it's hard to judge how, you know, Vienne obviously judged herself for not jumping in sooner to the movement like Isabel did, but it's, it's hard to really, you know, judge her for that because again, she did, you know, at the end of the day, she once she was in a place where she realized her calling and her purpose. She like was full force into it. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll say, even though I can't relate to really either of the sisters, Sophie was my favorite character in the book. Sophie oh, was yeah. so great. Oh God. Like not just the way she was written. It's kind of like what you said. Sweet you get, Sophie. you get your perspective of like from Vienne of seeing the progression and the snowball of yeah. what right. the Nazi takeover. With Sophie, I feel like you get very similar the progression of you're a little kid child. not knowing what's going on, yeah. and then you grow up to be kind of cynical, not cynical, but like revengeful almost. Like yeah. she was 14 when I mean, she, she was, was like, an adult 14-year-old. Yeah, like yeah. she was 14 years old when she says, like, I want to go in there and kill that like guy. Like slip that guy's yeah. throat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and so I think just like a very dynamic character because you have to be mm-hmm. um, when you're that young. But she was my favorite character and like all of her progressions in the story were super cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I, I think So <laughs> when I was reading it, I was, you know, joking with Maddie because I think she's an Isabel and I think I'm a Vienne yeah. in the sense of like, I, I really do like Maddie's just like, I, you know, she'll take on every problem, yeah. you right. know, very headstrong and, and, uh, she would definitely be the action hero while I would be like I just I'm more um, like passive I feel like when it comes to conflict and a lot of times I like to uh, you know see how things are gonna go before mm-hmm. I jump in and so I could see myself slipping into that same kind of issue that VN did but I, I really liked the commentary in this book about like you know sometimes there's worse like because I think in in VN's you know, 
a lot of her early stuff was just survive, right? right? Like just wait it out. Like my husband's coming back from this war and you know, everything's gonna get better and you just survive, I just gotta wait it out. And I think there there was one line later in the book where she was like, I, I realized then like there are worse things in life than, than dying or, or like mm-hmm. there, or there are better things than just surviving essentially. And I think that that it was a cool takeaway and, an, and a cool like uh, like character development for her. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I like both the sisters so much. I think the the whole yeah. story is great, and yeah, Sophie is a phenomenal character. She's and I, such I think a, yeah. I She's think that in itself too, because like her, you know, Vian was just trying to like protect Sophie. Yep. But can you do that? Like, could she have done that? Even you know, like, was she actually doing anything for Sophie by keeping her out of the war, quote unquote? Right. So there's one character that I think we need to discuss because it's kind of like a one of those moral quandaries. Um, and that character is Captain Beck. Yes. Because obviously, before I say this, obviously he is still a Nazi soldier. They did evil things. But in the context of this story, you know, and historically, the Gestapo and the SS were the ones who mainly committed the atrocities. Uh, you know, all German sh- soldiers were guilty. But... In the in the context of this book, he did theoretically say, help save yeah. um, Ari's life, and you could see, although you know when it interact interfered with his well being, he did get violent. Um, before then, he did try to help Vienne, which was probably more out of his lust towards her or you know interest towards her than anything but you never know she did mention several times that she could tell that he was uncomfortable with what was going on and he even mentioned it a few times too that that's not what he signed up for yeah so what did you guys think about captain beck because it's kind of a gray era area um with his intentions and his character yeah i thought beck I mean, Beck, to me, was a time bomb. Like, I was waiting for the chapter with Beck to really 180. Right. Um, which <laughs> And show what his, happened. like, true colors kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Like, I was very much, my thought of Beck was this guy is, for some reason, gaining trust. Right. And then that's going to flip exactly. to be the twist of the book. And that's, you know, that's not what happened. He ends up dying. Uh, super brutal death, indeed. Um, by the way, but I, I don't know. I he really was just a time bomb to me. And, and after he died, the main part of me said, "Well, I was wrong about this character." I leaned more to him being morally good, the best way his character allowed him to be. Okay, which I don't know if that's a well-worded way to say that but no I get a lot of his actions in the book were him comforting the family or taking care of the family or feeding the family and it's hard for me to say he's bad condemn him right it's hard for me to condemn him knowing that i thought he was going to turn bad and then he ends up just dying and his last words being like tell my family i love them and not like you know, a slander against all that he did for the family. Right. Um, so. Like he, 
he wasn't turned out to be like the things that he did. He didn't, he wasn't gaining trust and lying to them right. just to like take advantage. Obviously, again, it's, it's a, it's a time bomb and not the way they expected because he still did get violent, but it was more yeah. regarding like his job as a soldier in the military right. rather than anything to do with what the Nazi regime stood for and the atrocities that they committed. It was right. more along him just being like, pissed off because someone was hiding, you know, an enemy soldier and he was being threatened because of it. So it's, it's an interesting like gray area to, because, you know, it was like, like you said, he he didn't, he didn't time bomb like we thought he would. I think Nazi number two that lives with VM exists as a character to shine light on what Beck was like at the beginning of the book. Because it could have been that the whole time. Yeah, yeah. I think I think because he's a very like uh, challenging character because Nazism, especially just like in in like modern day and and Nazi Germany, like that is it's so like a one to one correlation of like absolute evil. Absolutely. And I think that like and and and, I mean it is and everything like obviously like that's not the the question. Right. Um, But I think when like her writing in captain beck it go like it, it it was good writing in the sense of it made the reader see the the grander scope of things that a lot of people got sucked up into this right. war that had that wanted to do like wanted to have to nothing to do with it and i think a lot of the question that Kristen hannah asks in this book is you know you are defined by your actions and right. the choices that you make right and you know, if that's inaction or if that's direct action, you're still going to have to, you know, yeah. live with those choices. And right. I think, you know, it, like Beck was a good person or, or you know, Within in the sense of be- before his who before, you know, this whatever happened, who became an evil person because he did not refuse to, you know, right. stand, you know, go against the regime that he he just followed he was ultimately he was serving orders yeah. which made him an evil person right and like right. his his death was still a tragedy in a sense because like you said his his you know final words were uh you know tell my family i love them and like he was ultimately a lot kinder to vienne and sophie and he wasn't a a absolute evil in the in the same way that uh the the second uh like the ss were yes the 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 gestapo guy who was just brutal but he still took part in like the you know loading people onto trains and stuff like that he he was he didn't stand up against things like that he followed orders there was even the scene of like that where vn like uh when she was following rachel when they were rounding up like the jewish people like he, she like saw him with a whip and it goes to show like you know he he might have been you know justifying his you know i'm i'm still a good person by you know treating them with kindness right. but by his inaction mm-hmm. he let a lot of evil things happen or right. was just an you know let so i i think it, it's just one of those things where and i like that you know his death ultimately serving too where like vienna was like yeah it was never a choice like between him or isabel like oh, i was yeah. gonna kill him no you matter 100 no of the matter time. What. uh but i think that chris and hannah did a very good job of writing his character in the sense of you know just making you see the grander scope of things of like 
it wasn't as black and white yeah. as you know like war is messy and awful and a lot of people just didn't know how to handle or process it um and ultimately i think that beck was one of those tragic characters in the same way that i think a lot of vn story was tragic where she wasn't you know brave enough to right go against things or have action or you know you know take a direct action and I think that that cost her a lot, like with with Sophie yeah. or with um, Sarah and with mm-hmm. with Rachel. Yeah, I think that's all I have to say about it. But yeah, it's good writing. We've mentioned it a few times. Uh, she knows how to pull the heartstrings and just gut punch you. And it happened multiple times in this book. So what? I, I want to know what part for you guys hit the hardest. Oh man, <laughs> there are so many. <laughs> I had like um, four today. I finished I've, the book today. Yeah, yeah. The the last few chapters are really gut punching. I have mine locked and loaded. Go. If yeah, you, yeah, you no, go. Because that may, it'll jog my memory. I feel like so much of it was just grueling. But so, yeah. We mentioned this earlier, but I think the things in media and books or movies that really get me are the the good stuff, mm-hmm. like the hopeful, yeah, same. kind of like happy things. The. The little girl from Klaus as an example. When she gets that sled, I I cry every single time. It's so good. Oh my god. Charge of the Rahirum, am I right? Return of the King. Yeah, cry yeah, every yeah. single time. Yeah. At the end of the book, like second to last page, when she sees the American and then she's like taken aback because it's Ari. That that was my oh, yeah. that was my I was like, that's it. That's Oh boy. Just like he did it, he made it, he never forgot about her. Like yeah. he seemingly had a good life in america mm-hmm. um that was my like hardest hitting moment for me just because it was the you know, it's a really heavy book and that's like the hopeful kind of yeah. upswing of everything so that got me good i think mine going off of that one and maybe it's just recency bias because i finished i read this section of it today but um also has to do with daniel slash ari uh and it's be i think it's because Right before, you know, she builds you up with this incredible moment where they put on the show for VN and they're singing and just having the best time and she's laughing and smiling. And then, and again, it, I have to also say, like, at the end of the day, like, it, it it's not a bad thing because obviously they were taking him back to his, like, real family. And so I'm not saying, like, it was, like, a sad moment in that way, but it's just a sad moment specifically for vn because she can't catch a break right it's so heartbreaking and you know i think through a lot of the most of the book i'm just ready for bad things to happen so i'm more like braced for it so i didn't get hit as hard but because you know the war had ended and there's so much hope and i'd like let my guard down when when she had to tell Daniel, it just like hit me so hard, and I was like, "You've got to be kidding me, man! Like, come on!" Yeah. But obviously, it brought it back around with him meeting her, and that did hit hard again because I was like, "Okay, like, I'm so glad that happened." But it, yeah, it was that. I, that was just oh, that killed me. And then obviously, when Isabel sees uh, Gaetan again mm-hmm. um, at the end, that yeah. was really special. Well, I mean, I can I can jump over that. I have to. I think Sarah's death was the biggest shock factor mm, yeah. one to me because of how quick it happened. Out of nowhere. We, that, that was like the 180 of the book. Right. Like, I, oh, this is happening. 
and I for think the that was too, yeah. I think yeah. that was also the 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 jarring moment for VN, right? Where the right. war it, it went from being a thing that was like like this is man this sucks. I can't wait for this to be over to her understanding like oh this is like and the mm. I, I mean we've used the word a lot but like this is like an atrocity. Like yeah. this is awful. Like the, a ch- a child was shot and they didn't even you know it it went into such length of talking about how normal the next day was. Right. Like, nothing had changed except, like, Sarah died and seemingly, like, no one cared. Right. right. Um, so that that was tough as far as, like, sad parts of the book. Uh, and then the other, like, sad, happy part, going along with what you said, Daniel, because I'm normally the same way. Like, the, the happier moments or, the like, the resolution moments are mm-hmm. what really get me a lot of time uh, with, with uh, the waterworks. So there was there was a line that when that Isabel had uh, when she was talking with uh, with Micheline in mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in the concentration yeah. camp about how they they were like each other's driving force to stay alive like they right. were then just trying to survive just trying to live live it out until the war was over and I, I think Micheline told her she said hey don't cry. Or maybe it was like Isabel just like in some of her inner dialogue where she was like the the ones who cry were the ones who didn't wake up in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. And she was so strong throughout the entire book. You know, she had gone through literally, you know, everything from being, you know, tortured, tortured, you know, uh, bombed at the beginning of the book. Gaetan rejecting her love, Vien rejecting her love, like so her dad rejecting her love, all this stuff, her watching her dad die. You know, uh, you know, she then gets into the the concentration camp and she makes it out. And then, you know, she's sick at the end with Vien. But then she finally realizes how much love she has from Vienne and her family and she you know is able to realize what her you know her father did for them and then Gaetan comes back and that's when she cries and then she dies right after that right. and that got me that was like a gut punch because it, it just felt like really really good foreshadowing right where you know it was you know she she had said in the camp like the ones who cry don't wake up and then Finally, when she was able to like realize that she was loved, and she cried, and then and then she died. The ne- like that, God, that Which really tore me op- open. We also learn when present day, not not present day, but you know later chapters, nineteen ninety five, that it is Vienna, right? Yeah. And then you learn that Isabel died, like. And they didn't hear her say, "Don't forget me." Yeah, like they, she dies. While like hugging. she does, and you don't learn it when she's holding on. You just assume, like, oh, maybe oh, they, they lived happily they ever, lived happily after ever after after exactly. Yeah. So no, I think one well, that the one that hit just real quick that hit like yeah. it went from like happy to be like, oh man, come on, was uh, when she's obviously reviewing. She's at the panel in 1995, like the evening that's honoring yeah. all of them, and she's t- t- talking about Isabel, and then she looks down at Sophie's name tag and then you know mentions that sophie had passed away from cancer oh god and she that was, was so brave so, so sad you, you go from like her being like she's talking about her sister and like this is so powerful to her being like and my you know my beautiful strong sophie and you're just like god. right like she outlived her own daughter yeah, even like, like you, it just hits oh it was so sad but yeah man 
And I, I feel like this, I, I don't know, I feel like we've just been talking about how sad and hard this book is. It's such a good oh, book. Oh, it's beautiful. Audience, I hope you There's liked it. really funny moments, too. As much as we did, but I loved this book. It, it you know, was yeah. a, a grueling task. So, um, I actually have a great, off of what you're talking okay, about, a cool. great way to end this. Yes, okay. Um, I gifted this book to my grandfather for Christmas. Yeah. My grandfather's 86 years old. Okay. Um, I found out recently in this past year that he's gotten really into reading. He's always liked reading, but mm-hmm. he's been really invested in reading. He reads before bed every single night now. Um, so I gifted him this book for Christmas. And so if you don't take our words for it, take Charles Ritchie Phillips' words of uh, his review of The Nightingale, oh, which this he is sent so me. Exciting. This on, is great. He sent this to me on December 29th, 2021. So he finished the book in three days. Oh my God. Um, he texted me. He's a great texter. I love it. 86 this. years old. He has an iPhone. Old, yeah. Wait, can he be on the podcast? I would love for him to be on the podcast. I love this man so much. He texted me and he said, I finished. The Nightingale last night, read from 8 to 11.30. I was halfway through when I started. Yes, it was some It was some book. Great writing. Aww. Ready for the rain today. Good to see y'all at Christmas. Aww. <laughs> wow, Charles Ritchie that Phillips. So That's so, so Charles Ritchie Phillips. All right, five stars. <laughs> I think I think Chris and Hannah should put that on the inside That should be the on book. the cover. Yeah, the yeah. book jacket is uh, that review right there. So if you I don't take that. our word for it, take his word for it. Because um, he also, he's a huge history buff. He taught history. That was oh, his, cool. I yeah, didn't know he that. He taught history in high school in, our, in my I hometown. I love that. Any other any other thoughts? Uh, just quick author's note for yeah. this is just praise for Kristen Hanna in general because I think that we love her as an author and uh, I think that just go read her books. They are all so good. I I have a hard time choosing between my favorites of the three that I've read so mm-hmm. far, uh, but each of them are so well written. Um, and uh, one just tiny, cool little snippet. So The Four Winds, which is a, a, a multiple award-winning book from 2021, that her most recent book, uh, she was writing it and it came out uh, during COVID. She was writing it pre-COVID, but a lot of that book is about uh, what it means to survive during uh, like hardship in America and like relying on people and found family and instances like that. And it's just really beautiful. So if you want another book from Chris and Hannah um, that you know is maybe even more relevant to what's going on right now, uh, go check out The Four Winds. Um, and then another fun uh, tidbit uh, for Chris and Hannah, and this is Nightingale related, is this book is being adapted into a movie. And the movie is starring both of the uh, Fanning sisters. So it's Dakota and Elle Fanning who are going to be playing Vienna and Sophie, which I think is really cool. Yeah. And also crazy to me because in my mind, there will always be like because of my Dixie. children. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I've always like just Earth. like I feel like they're so young, but I guess they're only a handful of years younger than us. But now they're like, yeah. I mean, they're, they're women. Who's when Dixie playing? In the, oh, my in the God. Movie. Shut up. <laughs> um, but anyways, I'm, I'm very excited for that. It's been I it, it was supposed to be a 2021 release. It's been delayed. Uh, you know, COVID yeah. delays everything, but I it, it's slotted for some time 2022. Um, so be on the lookout for that. I'm very excited. I'm sure we will be discussing that uh, on podcast or social media or or both once that comes out and just talking about our feelings and thoughts on the movie adaptation of this book. Um, yeah, that's cool. all I got. 
Book market. Book market. Uh, also, a couple quick shout outs. Sorry, I'm going. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, keep going. Now that I got the floor. Uh, so, uh, Melissa from our uh, party that we just had, uh, mm-hmm. the costume, or yes. the uh, uh, murder, mystery. murder mystery, thank you. Uh, My guy uh, DJ. DJ Inc. was her murder D- mystery character. Casey, right? Uh, and Casey, because yeah. she played two characters because someone <laughs> bailed. Uh, she said that she's an avid book reader and wanted to check out the podcast and also had a bunch of friends that she would tell about it. So, thank you for that. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to a book talk uh, uh, individual. So a gentleman who's doing, he's running this very fun channel called Book Talk Writes a Book, where, or, or TikTok Writes a Book, I think. I can't remember. It's one of, a variation of those two is his handle. And essentially he's having uh, the community, the, the book talk community write a novel by, he will post like questions about like, Hey, what's, you know, what's the setting? What's the genre? What's the main character? And then that, so anyways, it's just a fun way for people to interact, but he interacted with us and said that he was going to check out the podcast. Um, so shout out to him and thank you for you do. And also just for being a fun book creator, content creator, um, for us to keep, you know, follow. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's all I have for shout outs. And yeah, thank you for listening, audience, as always. Thank you to Jacob Robinson for the intro and outro of the podcast. Thank you, Maddie Moon, for the amazing cover art of our podcast. Thank you, thank you. Brett, take a swing at it. And the real books were the friends we made along the way. What was that? (laughs)